Well, good morning, everybody. I brought an old Bible with me today. I don't think I've ever brought this to connect ever. This is a, a Bible that I got when I was in high school. And uh, this, was my, this was the Bible that I used all through high school and through my college years and into young adulthood. And, uh, and I don't know if you guys are like this, but this Bible kind of became a repository of all kinds of keepsakes. Do you guys tuck stuff into your Bibles? And, yep. and this one for many, many years just became a place where I just kept things that were valuable to me. And there's all kinds of stuff in here, like uh, there's a picture of a quartet that I sang with in, in college and uh, yeah, buck teeth and really, really skinny. Um, <laughs> my favorite picture of my mom is in here. Uh, there's a little hand-drawn Christmas card in here uh, drawn by a kid, I think she was about eight years old. Dear Russ, I hope you're having a nice Christmas. And it's signed Corey. And uh, Corey was a little girl that was the niece of my roommate. And we used to babysit her and her sister. And Corey grew up and became a missionary to Indonesia. And Connect Church now supports Corey every month. And I came across this little thing that I didn't even remember that I had that she awesome. drew when she was just a little girl. Isn't that awesome? Have a little slip of paper with Sandy Patty's name printed on it. Some of you know Sandy Patty. She was a big Christian music superstar in the 80s. And I was a guest in her home in the mid 80s. And I stole some of her stationery. And, oh, um, man. <laughs> Jesus yeah. did not tell me to do it. No. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the most important things that's in this Bible tucked away is a letter from my grandmother. And uh, I've got a number of letters in here that are just precious memories. And this letter in particular, I, I think it's the only letter that I have from my grandma. And I was very close to her. And I've got tons of birthday cards and Christmas cards and that kind of stuff from her. And, and her handwriting is so distinct, I, I could pick it out anywhere. But I think this is the only letter I have from her, four pages handwritten. And I've saved it all these years because it had such a deep impact on me when I received it. Um, I had just had the worst argument with my dad that I'd ever had in my life. And I've told you this story before about how my dad uh, got so angry when I decided to go on the road with a band. I, I had just finished my sophomore year in college, and it was really important to my dad that I go to college because he'd never had the opportunity to go to school. And, uh, and, and he always felt like a second-class citizen in the business world because he didn't have a college education. And... Uh, and I finished my sophomore year and I got this opportunity to travel with a, a band that traveled all over the United States and Canada. And it was a big commitment. And, and what I wanted to do with my life more than anything was to be a famous musician. So I thought, this is my chance to go and, and spread my wings. And I called my dad to tell him this is what I was going to do. I was going to drop out of college. And, uh, and he lost it, just lost it on the phone. And, uh, and I remember my mom was crying on the phone, and it was just a really big family breakdown. And a few days later, I received this letter from my grandmother, and I'll read just part of it to you. She said, uh, I felt that you would be leaving on this new venture, and I just wanted to tell you how I felt. At first, when your mom told me, I was elated, and then after thinking it through, I thought maybe it was too soon that you wouldn't finish school, etc., etc. So I was a bit apprehensive. And then when I came home, I sat down and talked to the Lord very seriously. And now I'm thrilled for you. 
I believe it may be just the opportunity for you to find yourself and know just what you want to do in the future. It certainly is a challenge, and I realize that you'll be working for the Lord, and what could be better? And then she goes on to tell some personal stories and and some perspectives. And then she ended the letter by saying this. I want you to know that you can depend on me. If you ever get in a bind, please call me collect. This was before cell phones. Some of you don't even know what that means. In fact, she says, I wish you'd call me many times just to talk, even if you're not in a bind. Ha ha. I will always accept a collect call from you and be glad. And as long as I'm able, I'll help you. So don't forget. If you decide after you've been at this for a while that you don't like it, I won't mind a bit if you try something else. I think of all the young men who are doing other things worthless to themselves and a heartache to everyone, and then see what a fine young man you grew up to be, and I'm so proud of you. And, and she closes it. And wow. it's just, this is just so precious to me, you know. And, uh, and, and my Bible has all kinds of other letters. There's a typewritten letter from my mom and, and different little keepsakes in here. And, and I've thought quite often, um, you know, someday when somebody else is going through my things after I've departed this earth, somebody will pick up this Bible and they'll start going through this stuff and I wonder what they'll learn about me. Um, can kind I sh- of scary. Can I share that picture with them? No, you? my wife said it made her uncomfortable, so we're going to leave that one in there. He looks great. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, Jeff. <laughs> um, but, you know, letters in particular are just really valuable to us. And not very many people write handwritten letters anymore, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I usually type emails or text messages, but letters are so valuable. And historically... Letters have been very valuable sources of historical information. I like to read biographies. Anybody else like to read biographies? Uh, not long ago, I read a biography of Abraham Lincoln, and about the same time, I read a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a very famous uh, German martyr from World War II. And it's interesting, whenever you're reading history like that, the footnotes will always cite that they got this information quite often from letters you know, and uh, Abraham Lincoln wrote lots of letters. Dietrich Mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer wrote lots of letters. Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, was a voracious letter writer. I don't know if that was the right word, but uh, she wrote a lot of letters. And and they've become a part of history. And uh, one of the things that I want to talk to you about today is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in the New Testament, we have a number of, of, of books in the New Testament that are actually letters that were written from one person to another person or from one person to a church. We call them epistles, but they're just simply letters that were written from one person to another. And, uh, and today we're going to be taking a look at one of those letters. In this series, we've been talking about how Jesus discipled his followers. And today is our last message in this series. We've talked about how Jesus discipled Peter. We talked about how Jesus discipled John, the beloved. We talked about how Jesus discipled Mary Magdalene. There were a lot of surprises in that study. Last week, we talked about how Jesus discipled Judas. And we talked about how with Jesus, everybody always gets a do-over. And I know that was a big encouragement to lots of us. But today we're going to look at a second generation disciple. We're going to look at Paul the Apostle, 
who is a second generation disciple. And we're going to see how he discipled his protege, whose name is Timothy. So we're going to camp out in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy. You might enjoy uh, just scanning through that chapter. The first chapter will be in chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 today. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles to that, that book. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy. And we're going to see a lot of great information that will help us in our journey of making disciples. But before we start reading from 1 Timothy, Jeff is going to give us a little bit of background information about how Paul and Timothy connected. You guys remember in our last series, in the Multiply series, we talked about Paul's first mission trip. You know, it went from Patmos up to Turkey. Well, during that mission trip, this is like 46 to 49 AD, um, they stopped, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark stopped in Lystra in the first service. I called it Lycra, which I understand is some type of fabric, right? <laughs> it's Lystra, and it's actually up on the map if I'd use my own visuals. It's helpful, right? But you can see where they stopped in Lystra. And it's recorded in Acts, even though you're in 2 Timothy, in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, that Paul was teaching in Lystra, not a very big town, and there was a man there that had been crippled from birth, And you can imagine that if he lived in a small town, he's crippled from birth, everybody knows who this guy is, right? And he was sitting just like you guys are, and Paul's teaching, and he just made eye contact with this guy, and he could just see the faith in this guy. And literally, he healed him right on the spot. And it was, I mean, of course, you can imagine the word that this guy got up and walked out of that when he got carried in or or whatever. Bible scholars feel that uh, Timothy could have possibly been in that crowd, you know, or else his parents were. Uh, he was born in that very same town, and he would have been a teenager, maybe about 16 years old. And that, that healing that was recorded, that's in Acts 14.11, okay? Talks about the crowd and how it witnessed it. And then Bible scholars feel that Timothy probably converted shortly thereafter, after he either saw that or he heard it. So when Paul came back, he came back on his second mission trip. This is like two years later. He comes back, And guess where he ends up in? He ends up in Lystra again. This time, Paul is with Silas, and it's just the two of them. And uh, he meets Timothy for the first time, okay? By this point, two years later, Timothy is already an established, respected, faithful member of the church there. So he's come a long ways, and he's probably 18, 19 years old, you know? And uh, Paul is so impressed with him that if you look in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he actually recognizes his faith in his letter to him. It says, I remember your genuine faith, writing to Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I pray that same faith continues strong in you. So, you know, obviously Timothy made a big impression on Paul. And, you know, he had some qualities there that uh, I'm sure led Paul to believe that he could take him on and disciple him and then apprentice him and finally, you know, commission him into the ministry. Uh, He was, if you remember, his mother was Jewish, right? Father was Greek. So he would have had a lot of information, a lot of knowledge of Jewish scripture, Jewish laws, customs. But then his dad had all these Gentile connections in the area. 
So, you know, when you go out on a mission trip, it's nice to be able to cover all of your, your demographics, right? So he had all of these qualities, plus he was listed as devout and faithful, and he's obviously pretty bright because he'd already uh, converted to uh, Christianity. So he invites Timothy to go on this mission trip with him, and they go on into Greece, okay, with Silas. And you can tell how active and faithful he was if you look in Acts Chapter 16, verse 5, we're going to have it up on the boards here. I know we've got you in a couple of different books here, but it says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. So the three of them went out and actually strengthened the churches. They helped them grow larger. They strengthened their faith. Timothy's name, just as some background for you guys, Timothy means honoring God or precious to God. So if you're thinking about naming any future children, that's a honoring God or precious to God. And, you know, during his whole life, I love how his being a third generation, the way he was called is the same as Peter and James and John. You know, he immediately when Paul called him, he didn't sit, go, oh, I got to finish school or, you know, I better finish my apprenticeship or whatever he was doing. He left. He left his country. He left his hometown. He just left. He went on mission with Paul. And uh, Pastor Russ is going to kind of unpack the rest of his life going forward. So if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to see here in this chapter that Paul lays out a template for how to build disciples. And he's writing personally to his protege, Timothy. But as we just walk through this chapter, we're going to see four things that Paul consistently does that builds a disciple out of Timothy. And I just love this because we can apply these things into our discipleship relationship as well. And the first thing we see is that Paul loved Timothy dearly. Paul loved Timothy dearly. Here's what we read in the first two uh, verses of this chapter. Paul says, this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Now, that might not seem extraordinary to you, but as you read Paul's letters, especially the letters to Timothy, you find that he uses this phrase over and over and over. My dear son. In chapter 2, in the very first verse of chapter 2, Paul again calls Timothy, my dear son. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul talks about Timothy and tells the Philippians that he has no one that is as faithful and as as dearly loved as Timothy. This was a very significant, loving relationship. That word dear, in fact, is a very interesting word in the original language, the Greek language that the Bible was written in. The word is, and it's hard to say, agapetos. Agapetos. Turn to your neighbor and say agapetos. Agapetos. See, you're, you're better than me. Glad you said it. <laughs> Agapetos. And, and it means beloved or dear or favorite, worthy of love. And if you've ever heard any teaching on the Greek words for love, you'll see that the root word of this word is agape, which is one of the best Greek words for love. It means unconditional love. And when Paul calls Timothy Agapeto, he's saying, you are someone who's my favorite. I really, really love you, and you are my son. Now, Timothy wasn't his biological son. This was somebody who had become a protege or a disciple, but 
but the relationship had grown so deep that it really became like a son. Paul loved Timothy dearly. I think one of the thing, sad things that has evolved in churches in our generation is that many churches approach discipleship as just being a class that a person takes. In fact, many, many churches have classes that they call discipleship classes. Mm-hmm. And if somebody comes to church and they make a commitment to Christ, the first thing they do is get them signed up for a class. I believe that the Bible model is different. The first thing we need to do when somebody comes to faith in Christ is get them involved in a relationship with someone who loves them. This is what Paul did. He invested in Timothy. He took Timothy with him on the, on the mission trips. They were teaching together. They were healing people together. And Timothy blossomed into not just a disciple, but a world-changing leader. It's a wonderful principle. I was thinking this morning about uh, a young man that's become like a son to Chris and me. Uh, When we first got married 21 years ago, we decided that our mission as a couple was to make disciples. We decided that early on. And so we were always looking for opportunities to invest in people uh, and, and, and lead people into significant relationships with Christ and helping them to mature as disciples of Jesus. And one of the early young men who came into our lives uh, his, his name is Adam, and, and we're still very close to him to this day. And uh, we began to do things with Adam socially. We began to teach him. He was in our young adults group. We'd pray with him. We'd, we'd mentor him in so many different ways. And I'll never forget, at the Christmas stroll, uh, about, I don't know, six months after we met Adam, we were at the Christmas stroll, and we're walking around, and, and all of a sudden, just spontaneously, Adam called Chris, Mommy. And, and, and it was just, mommy, kind of like this, you know, and, and he was calling to Chris. And it was at, at that moment, he became like a son to us. And we began referring to him as our son. He called Chris mommy. He never called me daddy, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but he, he just became a very, very dear son to us. And, and we spent a lot of time together, and we invested a lot. Adam lived in a little basement apartment in Great Falls, and he didn't have a, a secure place for his car. He had, a, he had bought a Volvo, a beautiful Volvo car, and, and he wanted a secure place for it. And we had an extra space in our garage, so we let him park his car in our garage. And so we, we just lived like family with Adam. And then I remember a couple years into this, this very dear relationship, Adam started doing some things that he knew would make us unhappy, and, uh, and, and at one point we discovered that Adam had been lying to us about a very significant thing. And we knew that we had to confront Adam. Parents, do you ever have these conversations with your kids? You have to confront really bad behavior and lies. Um, all of a sudden, we're starting to have these very deep emotions about confronting a, a kid I- I- that you've caught in a lie. And I remember it was one night and we were outside our house and we confronted him and said, Adam, have you been lying to us? And we'd caught him so he couldn't, he couldn't hide it and he confessed. And, and it was very emotional and he got mad, you know, because he'd been covering this stuff up and he got mad and Chris was mad and all of a sudden Chris just yelled at him, and get your car out of my garage! <laughs> <laughs> and at that moment, you know, this very dear relationship, it just seemed like it had been shattered. 
But there was something deep that, that held us together. And it wasn't long after that, that our relationship was reconciled and we were able to go back to investing and loving him and, and, and mentoring him. And a couple of years ago, Chris and I got the opportunity to go to Connecticut and I got to perform the wedding when he, when he married his beautiful wife. And they've been married a couple of years now and are the proud parents of a dog. And, um, <laughs> but we loved him. This is, this is one of the things that Paul did continuously as he was making relationship, as he was making disciples. He loved his disciple dearly. But there's a second thing that we see here in this chapter that I think is very, very powerful. Paul prayed for Timothy. This is number two in your notes. Paul prayed for Timothy. There's two verses in this chapter that I want to take you to. The first one is verse 3. Paul says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. You know, I've read this, this book of the Bible probably hundreds of times in my lifetime. And uh, this week when I was studying, this verse jumped off the page at me. And I just felt so deeply moved in my spirit that I need to be praying more for the people that I am leading. Paul said to Timothy, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I love to pray and I pray for people a lot, but I don't think there's anybody in my life that I could say, honestly, night and day, I remember you in my prayers. This, this just verse just hit me between the eyes this week. Uh, Paul was a powerful man of prayer. And if you've read any of his other letters, you'll, you'll, you'll remember that every once in a while, Paul will be teaching and talking about wonderful things about theology. And all of a sudden, he'll just start writing these brilliant prayers. He was a man of prayer. And this was a major part of the discipleship process for Paul. A few verses down, if you've got your Bibles open, verse six says this. He says to Timothy, this is why I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And this is fascinating about Paul because he didn't just pray for Timothy from a distance, but when they were together, Paul would pray for him personally and would lay his hands on him. This is something we practice here at Connect. We believe there's a spiritual power that comes when we lay our hands on one another and pray in Jesus' name for one another. And in Timothy's situation, there was some sort of spiritual gift that was bestowed on Timothy when Paul laid his hands on him. I don't know what that spiritual gift was, but I know that there's power in prayer. And God does something powerful in terms of spiritual maturity and leadership and spiritual gifts when we lay our hands on one another and begin to pray. Amen. This is a, a, a powerful principle. And I want to ask you this morning, who are you praying for? Parents, you need to pray for your children. And not just from the secrecy of your prayer closet or from your bedroom or wherever you pray. You need to lay your hands on your kids and pray for them powerfully. Amen. God does something supernaturally powerful when you lay your hands on your kids and you pray for them. Amen. Husbands. You need to pray for your wives. 
There's something powerful that happens when we pray for our wives. I've had lots of conversations with people over the years, and, and I know men in particular, we feel a little awkward when we pray out loud. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. It's just odd. Brian is raising his hand. Um, we feel funny for some reason. I, I, I don't even know what that emotion is, but it's hard. But men, we're the spiritual leaders of our homes. We ought to be praying for our wives. And conversely, wives, man, we need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for us. Chris and I pray together every night before we go to sleep. And uh, most of the time we're praying for other people in our lives. But on Saturday nights, Chris always prays for me because I have to teach on Sunday morning. It's my favorite prayer time of the whole week when Chris prays for me. Wives, I, I don't know if there's anything more important you can do for your husbands than to pray for your, for your, for your guy. Pray for him. Lay your hands on him and pray for him. Connection group leaders. Many of you are leading groups here at Connect. Pray for your group members. It's so important that you are lifting them up to the Lord and imparting to them spiritual wisdom and spiritual discipleship <coughs> and spiritual power. Pray for your group members. Those of you that are in one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationships, pray for one another. This is what Paul did. And what about those friends and family members that you want to see come to Jesus. You know who they are. Uh, in the last couple of months, we've been talking about this a lot, investing in, in relationships and, and helping them come back to God. Pray for them. Who are you going to invite to Easter Sunday service with you? Start praying for them even before you invite them. There's something powerful that happens when we pray. This was Paul's pattern for making disciples. And again, I can't tell you how deeply I've been moved in my spirit just this week. And, and I've just been praying differently this week. And, and I, I, I feel like God has been calling me to pray for our leaders here at Connect. Jeff, I prayed for you this week. Thank you. Probably more than I've prayed for you before because I, I just, God's calling me to pray for our leaders. Uh, Scotty left the building. He was right over there. I prayed for Scotty. You can tell him when he comes back. I prayed for Scotty this week and asked God to just continue to gift him and anoint him in, in worship leading and, and, and leadership in general. And, and so many differently. I prayed for my wife differently this week than I have in a long time because I saw here that this is what Paul did to build disciples. He loved them deeply. He prayed. And here's number three. Number three, Paul taught Timothy, the truth. Paul taught Timothy the truth. Here's what he said in, in verses 13 and 14. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you have learned from me. Hold on to the teaching, he says to Timothy. A pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within <coughs> us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. <coughs> Do you know how important truth is? Do you know how important, do you know how truth has been lost in our culture in America today? You're, you're aware, just like I am, of, of, of the fact that so many people don't believe that there even is truth anymore. What's true for you, that's great for you, but I have my own truth. Have you had a conversation like that with anybody? If you haven't, you will pretty soon in all likelihood. Because nobody in America really believes in truth anymore. Paul was telling Timothy, listen, there is a truth that I have entrusted to you 
There are things that are true. There are things that are false. You need to know and you need to guard the truth in your life. Paul was investing into Timothy that which gave him life, truth. And he expected Timothy to guard that and nurture it in his life and let that shape him. Paul taught Timothy the truth. And in our relationships, in our discipleship processes here at Connect, truth has got to be one of the things that's very, very important. It can't just be just hanging out and having a good time. We've got to be teaching truth in our connection groups and in our one-on-one discipleship relationships. There's got to be an element of truth. I'm so proud of our connection groups. And, and, And some of them are doing Bible studies or videos. Many of them are going deeper with our Sunday messages. There's truth being shared and taught in our connection groups. But a few weeks ago, I also shared with you some other resources. Uh, ConnectApply, that's a website that uh, Gabe is is developing and is a resource for us to use in our mentoring relationships. It's a very valuable resource for imparting truth and learning truth together. Tools for Mentoring is a Kindle resource. If you are mentoring somebody and you want to go through a very practical Bible study, Tools for Mentoring, you can download it from Amazon. It's a great resource for systematically studying what is true. There's Christian books. There's Bible studies. uh, There's all kinds of ways that we can learn truth. But we've got to make that a centerpiece of the discipleship process, along with loving people and praying with people. We teach people the truth. I was thinking this morning about one of my early discipleship relationships. Uh, Jay Taylor is a name, if you've been around for a long time, I talk about Jay often. He's one of my very closest friends. And Jay was uh, my disciple maker in the early years of my life. He was a couple years ahead of me in school and a couple years ahead of me in his relationship with God. And we went to college together. We graduated and ended up working at the same church together. And Jay mentored me. And one of the things that that we did together, we read books together. And Jay would say, Russ, we got to read this. This is great stuff. And there are some of those books that now, 30 years later, I go back to those books that were foundational in my relationship with Jesus. One of them I just shared with our staff last fall. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. The author is Coleman. It's, you know the book, classic book. Jay brought that book to me. It has been foundational for my relationship and my walk with the Lord. And those are the kinds of relationships that we want to build with disciples. Teaching is an important part of it. So lastly, number four, if you're taking notes, Paul commissioned Timothy. Paul commissioned Timothy. And we find a powerful verse in chapter two, verse two. I remember this reference because it's 2, 2, 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2. Here's what it says. Paul says to Timothy, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, you, Timothy, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. They'll be able to pass them on to others. I'm using the word commissioned. Paul commissioned Timothy. There's a a verse in the Bible that we call the Great Commission. Do you remember what this verse is? Some of you will remember this. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. We call that verse the Great Commission. 
This is what Paul is doing with Timothy now. He's commissioning Paul to take the mission of Jesus. We, around here we say that our mission is to help people reconnect to God. Take that mission and entrust it to others. I built a little diagram here to help you visualize it. All right? In this verse, 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says that there were reliable witnesses that this started with. What Paul is referring to here are the original witnesses to Jesus' ministry, his life and his death and his resurrection. Those people were influences on Paul. It was Ananias, I think you mentioned. And, and Paul spent time with Peter and he spent time with Barnabas. These were Paul's disciplers. They were first generation witnesses of Jesus, but they passed it on to Paul and he became a second generation witness. And then Paul passed on the witness of Jesus to Timothy and Timothy became a third generation witness for Jesus Christ. And Paul is now telling Timothy, pass this on to reliable people, fourth generation people. I'm sorry, trustworthy people. There were reliable witnesses, trustworthy people. And those people will pass it on to others. And you see how this works. First generation passes to second generation, passes it to third generation, passes to fourth generation, passes to fifth generation. This was the vision that Paul had for Timothy that it would go on and on and on. And you want to know what happened? Timothy did what Paul called him to do. Timothy was faithful to the commission of passing this on to trustworthy people who'd pass it on to others. And eventually in, in, in Timothy's life, he became the pastor of the church that Paul started in Ephesus. Paul started a church in Ephesus. Timothy became the pastor and Timothy invested in people who pass it on generation after generation after generation. If you Google the church at Ephesus, you will find a wonderful history of a church that existed in that city for 16 centuries. Because the commission that Paul gave to Timothy was passed on to trustworthy people who passed it on to others. And generation after generation after generation, that church became an important center of Christianity that actually, they got pushed out by the Ottomans in the 16th century. They just packed up and moved to another location. The church that Paul planted in Ephesus is still in existence today. And it's because Timothy was faithful to carry out the commission that Paul gave him. I want to ask us today, what is going to be the legacy of our lives? Most of us in this room are Christians. Are we going to pass it on to the next generation? Are we going to pass on what we have learned? Am I going to pass on what my, what my mentor Jay passed on to me? Will I pass it on to others? And will you pass it on to the next generation? What will the legacy of Connect Church be? Will we be a church that has such a lasting impact that if Jesus doesn't come back for 16 centuries, that someday historians will look back and say something happened in Bozeman, Montana that started something significant. I hope so. I hope Jesus comes back in my lifetime, really, frankly. I, I really hope that happens. But I can't sit on my hands and not work for Jesus while I'm waiting for him to come back because I don't know. And if Bozeman, Montana still exists, a century or two or three or 16 later, I hope that there are Christians that have inherited something from us because we were faithful to multiply disciples and multiply leaders and multiply churches. You ought to be on your feet shouting by now. Thank you. Hosanna. No, not, that's just to Jesus. 
Thank you. You hear what I'm saying? Let's build disciples. Let's love disciples deeply. Let's pray for disciples. Let's teach and let's commission. This is the pattern Paul laid down in the life of Timothy. It's a great pattern for us to make disciples as well. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you lived your life on this earth and then you gave yourself as a sacrifice for sin. This week we will be remembering your life and your death and your resurrection. And I am so grateful, Jesus, that you have changed my life and you've forgiven my sin and you've transformed me from the inside out. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that you called me to be a man who makes disciples. I pray, Lord, that every one of us in this room will sense a deep call from you today that you're calling us to be disciple makers, to pass it on to our kids, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our coworkers. Jesus, open up the doors of opportunity so that we can lead people to reconnect to God and then disciple them to the maturity and to be the people that pass it on to the next generation. As we close this teaching series, Jesus, I pray that this will be the, the commission that we will be faithful to to go and make disciples in all the world. Thank you, Lord, for your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna minister in prayer in just a minute, but before we do, I want us to just worship uh, for a couple of minutes. The band's got a great song that I hope you'll sing along with, listen to the words, and then we'll pray together one more time before we close. We want to take just a few minutes and uh, pray with one another this morning. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning, if you need prayer for anything, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? And uh, our, our prayer warriors are going to come and agree with you, lay hands on you and pray for you powerfully. Um, you might be coming to Jesus. Maybe you'll make a decision to follow Christ today. You can raise your hand and somebody will come and pray with you. We would love to pray with you about that. Maybe you need healing in your body. We believe in praying for miraculous healing and we love to pray for that. Uh, or any other kind of need that you have, we'd love to pray with you. All right, let's pray together, can we? Jesus, I believe that the reason Paul was such a powerful man of prayer is because he knew that when we pray, you act. And today, Lord, we just want to lift up Every person here that's raised a hand and said, I have a need, we want to lift them up and we want to ask you, Jesus, to miraculously and powerfully act in their lives. Jesus, some of us are really needing healing in our bodies. There's been a lot of sickness going around. We want to ask you, Jesus, to bring healing to us. Some of us are really struggling, Lord, with disease that seems hopeless. Jesus, we pray for miraculous healing in our bodies. And in the powerful name of Jesus, we call health into our bodies. Lord, some of us are struggling with, with hearts that are just broken. And life has been cruel. Today, Lord, we're asking you to heal us. Will you heal the broken places? Lord, will you heal the addictions? Lord, will you heal the messes that we've made? We even want to pray, Lord, today for a restart in our lives. 
God, uh, that's where we're going in the next few weeks, Lord. Restart our lives, Lord. We pray for forgiveness. We ask you to wash us clean by your precious blood that was shed so that we could be reconciled to God, Lord. We pray that you will bring new spiritual life into these dead spirits, Lord. Revive us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I don't know what I've missed this morning, but you know the prayer of everybody's heart in this place. And I pray, Lord, that you will move and you will act and change us, we pray. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen Amen means so be it. Don't forget that. When we say amen, we're saying so be it, Lord. What I've prayed, we're asking you to make it happen. All right, Jeff's going to come and share some next steps with you. You can be seated. All right, next steps. Love, pray, teach, and commission. I just want to share with you guys, uh, I have the, just the opportunity to, to mentor a couple of guys here, including Gabriel. And, you know, I, I think the first step, you've got to love other people. You've got to love them more than you love yourself or your job. You have to care for people. And uh, it's really important that you pour that out to them. Praying with them. You know, Pastor Russ talked about praying for people. Uh, you know, I can tell you in my life, praying with these guys. And this week, Gabriel's sitting right over there. And he prayed for me for just for confidence and anointing. And thank you for that. We pray together. Uh, we teach each other. And ultimately, want to commission each other. So it's all about being taking these steps that Russ has shared with us and applying them in your lives. Whether it's one-on-one, mentoring, or in a small group. I shared our small group and some successes we're having there. So I want to encourage you guys to get involved with that, okay? Do something practical. They say that you can't, uh, you know, you can't claim you're an NFL player if you watch NFL on TV, right? <laughs> you got to take it and utilize it, right? Same with us here. We have to take it, put feet to our faith.